somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Lutz Fridamas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. Yet to come on this hour of That Kevin Show, the living presidents choose between Cocaine Bear and Jesus. Christine Nicholas, the first lady of New York hospitality, joins us. And three-time Grammy-winning and 45-time Dove-winning Michael W. Smith in the music spotlight before we're done. And now, live from Times Square, where the trains may derail and be full of muggers, but at least they're free of vinyl chloride, here's that Kevin. I, I guess, uh, what, there's a... Uh silver lining to everything yeah you know east palestine ohio the whole town gets ruined by a vinyl chloride and the derailment um new york city it's mostly just the filth of the stench of filth uh anyway in the uh in the trains uh, sometimes they derail and they are always full of muggers at least uh these days kevin mccullough glad to have you with us welcome to a very special second hour of that kevin show tonight yet to come christine nicholas who would be slapping my knuckles right now she'd be wrapping my knuckles with the ruler don't you say that new york city stinks it's great it's the greatest city on planet earth and i agree with that it's just that I've ridden in the subways a couple of times in recent weeks, and it's, it's not an inaccurate observation. Uh, anyway, uh, she she's going to tell us a lot of the good things that are going on here. And for those of you that have kind of like marked New York off your bucket list, wish list, don't do that. Don't do that. Come see us. Come see how cool it is in Times Square to run into an Elmo who may or may not fondle you. Uh, on a moment's notice. Just just come and experience it for yourself. There's nothing like the naked cowboy, except in person. You got you to gotta come. Anyway, uh, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. Um, you, you know this, this whole, um, I, I started the first hour off with this, the whole uh, cocaine bear Jesus revolution contest that started in the theaters last week. Cocaine bear edged out the savior of the world, uh, but it was not by a large margin. It's just a couple of million dollars. But uh, to date, now Jesus Revolution, I think, has made twenty-two million going into this weekend. We don't even have this weekend's box offices yet. But uh, last week, it was a contest between Cocaine Bear and Jesus Revolution, and for some reason, the living presidents felt it was necessary to ask for complimentary tickets because of them being big VIPs. You know, we're former presidents. We, we, we want to get free tickets to the movies. So I tried to see what I could do. Yes, Mr. McCullough, Diane Langworthy of United Cinemas. It looks like we can accommodate all of the living presidents to the movie of their choice this weekend. They simply need to confirm Cocaine Bear or Jesus Revolution. I'll check in with you tomorrow. Hey, Kev, Senator Biden, uh, President Harris and I think we want tickets to go see the bear. Um, because
because cocaine reminds me a lot of all that stuff they put in my protein shakes before my State of the Unions. Hi, Kevin. Donald, you know, I've never smoked, drank, done any kind of drugs, neither of my kids, and um, I'm not going to start now. So give me tickets for the revolution. I like revolution. Revolutions are good. American Revolution, make America great again. Kev, it's Brock. Uh, let me be clear. Uh, Michelle and I would like to go see the cocaine bear. But just as I said when I was campaigning, I promise I won't inhale. Hey, Kev. W. Uh, you know, Coke and I did not have a very good relationship. In fact, I'm still a little bit afraid of sunshine from all that I did. So I think Laura and I would like to go see the Jesus movie, that revolution thing. Hey, Kev, it's Bill. I, I couldn't care less which one you give me tickets to. I just want to know, and I have to kind of whisper this, uh, will there be chicks? Isn't he funny, Kev? It's, it's, it's Hillary. I was listening on the other line. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, we'll be glad to uh, take whatever tickets you give us for the cocaine bear. We won't go see Jesus. Kev, Senator Biden again. Um, Come to find out, when talking with Jill about it, turns out Hunter would like to go too. Something about bears or cocaine. I think I think it was the cocaine, actually. But yeah, Hunter needs a ticket. I I, I bet Hunter does. <laughs> he wants. Well, I, I think Hunter probably only wants to know where the stash was that they used to film with the bear. Uh, maybe not knowing that. Um, they didn't use an actually coked up grizzly to shoot the film. Anyway, uh, that's the living presidents. Uh, they love stopping by. I don't know why. They they love to leave their messages for me. Um, we but I was I was pondering this whole thing. What if a bear did get into uh, drugs that say were left behind by human beings in the world? And it turns out, according to the uh, the big newspaper in Denver, evidently they do. Well, in uh, 2019, Colorado Parks and Wildlife started a bear tracking and reporting system across the state. So we keep track of, uh, of different bear activities, where they're at, what they're getting into. And we have had a few reports of bears um, getting into, uh, we had a bear get into a freezer that had some marijuana edibles and also had a bear that uh, um, took someone's backpack that had some marijuana in there as well. Um, but, you know, once bears... Uh, learn that freezers or backpacks might have food, you know, they're going to go after those sources. Give me the weed, baby. That grizzly, he he wants to get his chill on so, so badly. Uh, is it bad for them? Well, it would have, you know, some sort of effect, but for the overall health of the animal, it's not something that would be overly concerning for us. And, you know, in some cases, they could get into large amounts of those substances, but the uh, opportunities for that to happen are pretty slim. All right. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I don't want the bears uh, having permanent damage from the coke or the weed that they may do. You know, and we seem to be very concerned about that, maybe more concerned than we are about our fellow man. But then again, that's just the way it is. But what about there's got to be there's if, if there's weed bears and coke bears, there's got to be adult beverage bears uh you know once they you know we've had bears that get into coolers that have beer and will chew on some beer cans trying to drink this the uh um, drink the beer out of there you know also soda cans as well or high calorie sugary drinks 
Um, so that's really what the bears are looking for is those high calorie food sources. I mean, we've had, you know, bears that have taken entire coolers full of beer, um, chewed into those cans and busted them everywhere. What, what do you call a bear that has had beer, weed and Coke? Snoop Dogg. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, any lessons that the humans should be taking away from this? Now, the bottom line is, you know, humans provided these sources for the bears. And it usually comes down to the bears becoming habituated to human-provided food sources. And so they learn a cooler, could have potentially have food in there. Um, they're going to go check out a cooler to see what's in there. And they're very curious animals as well. So, you know, if they think something could possibly be food, they're going to try to at least taste it and see um, if they get any substance, sustenance from that. Um, also, things like um, air fresheners, deodorants, things like that can also attract bears if they have a food type scent. And so you want to make sure that you're not providing those food sources or scent attractants for bears, keeping that stuff secure as much as possible so the bears aren't coming around people looking for food and potentially getting into other substances as well. Because as we've seen in the movies the last couple of weeks, you don't want bears on substances. You just it's just a bad just a bad choice all the way around. Anyway, you know something was kind of cool about this week. You heard John Irwin in the first hour uh, make mention that the movie houses had kind of done their own thing, uh, sticking with these movies as they were intended to be seen by their directors, uh, and that Universal had gone full-fledged with Cocaine Bear, and they made Cocaine Bear the best Cocaine Bear they could. And Lionsgate went with Jesus Revolution and let uh, John Irwin and the uh, Irwin brothers and uh, Kevin Downs and the others make that movie to the best of their ability. And at the end of the day, what ended up happening here is you had two very contrasting films that the public chose from. And uh, this last week, John Irwin of the Jesus Revolution movie sent a note to the Cocaine Bear people and said, congratulations. I thought it was a very classy thing to do. And I like it when my Christian friends are also classy. Happens to work out well. Kevin McCullough, Christy Nicholas from uh, New York City joins me next. She is the first lady of New York City hospitality. And a little bit later on, three-time Grammy winner, Michael W. Smith. guest is someone that I have immense respect for and have for quite a while. In fact, ever since I came to the Big Apple, uh, her name was always associated with some of the most important things happening in the city. And it was uh, a real joy just a few years ago when I finally got to start working with her on a regular basis. In fact, she co-hosts uh, a radio show that I do on Friday nights with me here in the city. But she is so much more than that. She's one of the most influential women in travel, in PR, 
in uh, advocacy for New York City. Uh, she is consistently rated as one of the uh, the top voices, the most respected uh, uh, persons to 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 really have on your team advising you to do much of anything. And someone who felt that way very strongly uh, in the aftermath of the immediate attack of 9-11 was Mayor Giuliani, who said to her, you've got 48 hours, go get Broadway open after the terrorist attacks had happened. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome, put your hands uh, together for Christine Nicholas. <laughs> Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, it's terrific to be on that Kevin show. Congratulations. It's fantastic. And I love how you are elevating New York City, bringing it back. You are playing a key role in making people understand that, you know, as goes New York, goes the country. And if New York is not strong, our country will not be strong. Whether you agree with the politics or not, the reality is New York City is uh, our culture. Yeah. It's a great uh, way of celebrating Americana. There's so much to see and do. So what you're doing on that Kevin show is really meaningful. And many people here in New York City are taking notice. Well, I loved, um, I've always loved, and when I was a kid, loved the idea of someday going to New York and just getting to do radio in New York. Like that, That's all I could possibly fathom or imagine. And I actually had program directors at radio stations in Dallas and Chicago tell me when the opportunity came to go to New York, like, you know, the, New York doesn't really have anything that we don't have. Oh, yeah? Well, all three of my book deals came after I moved to New York. I started doing a lot of TV when I was uh, uh, after I located to New York, and and now there's that Kevin show. So it's like you know, it's uh, it's New York has been a very very good experience for me in a lot of ways, and I want to kind of piggyback off that because. There's a lot of people watching tonight, Christine, that may be in the hinterland or the flyover country, and they may be saying, you know what, those those liberals out there in New York, they just don't have any idea how hard it is for us out here in the real country. And there's there's some truth to the fact that New Yorkers are a little bit busier, and sometimes we probably get a little bit too wound up in what we've got going on to understand that maybe not the whole country thinks the same way that we do. But I know that in the aftermath of 9-11, there was an outpouring of support that came from across the country, and the country became New Yorkers uh, as, as the sign went. And I, I, I'm hopeful that in the aftermath of the pandemic, and of the uh, the riots and some of the other things that have happened over the last couple of years that uh, that we can still instill that spirit that where the harbor of Lady Liberty shines, so right. does the heartbeat of America. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, I was here on 9-11, as you uh, referenced, and I was heading up at the time NYC and Company, which is New York City's Convention and Visitors Bureau. So it's a tourism marketing agency. And prior to that, I worked as Mayor Giuliani's communications director. So um, as you as you said, he gave us two days to open up Broadway. And the reason being is because he knew that the culture of America is really Broadway. I mean, look, we there's symphonies all over. I mean, we have country music too that is uniquely Americana, but that's not in necessarily known for new, being New York City. Right, so what right. is New York City's culture? And that is that is Broadway. So we had um, two days to open it up. I will argue that uh, Lincoln Center and Carnegie play an awful important role, 100%. Too, but, but yeah. you're right. In fact, there is something magical. I, I try to explain this to people that don't live here or people that come to visit for the first time. And it, you, you, we all have those people, right? If you live in New York, you you have people that say, I'm coming to your city. I've been wanting to my entire life. They don't say that about Fort Worth, Texas, where I grew up. They do say that about New York City. Um <laughs> 
but the idea is when when the sun goes down and the lights come on, especially in Times Square and around all the theaters and around Lincoln Center and around Carnegie and all the right. eateries, there is a life to this place that yeah. is just magnificent. And it just is not replicated. I've been to London. I've been to Paris. I've been to Los Angeles. I've been to uh, other national capitals. There's no right. place like it on planet Earth. Yeah, well, we're a 24-7 city. Uh, we pride ourselves on that. You know, and during the pandemic, it was a little eerie because even when our subways reopened, they did not open uh, to 24 hours. And it was the first time that that ever happened. Uh, you know, they closed, I think, at 2 a.m. and then they reopened at 6 a.m., which we we found out uh, very quickly that that was going to hamper New York's ability to bounce back because who travels at those hours but the people who are working, you know, in the essential service industry, right? I mean, whether they be nurses, doctors, restaurateurs, delivery persons, you know, all of the folks that we relied on during the pandemic. So they had to uh, open it up, <laughs> you know, and thankfully, and, you know, to this day, are we fully back? Not a hundred percent. You know, our good mutual friend, Tom Harris from the Times Square Alliance. T-Square. That's T -square, it. Yeah. I mean, he, um, is he does the daily uh, pedestrian counts in Times Square. And we're still down about 15% um, from the average, which is 350,000 people a day that walk through Times Square. So, but we're getting there, you know, and it's, it might be down 15% from pre-pandemic, but it's up 120% from, you know, 2020 when we were in the thick of it. So, yeah. um, you know, we we're really... Uh, we're really happy to be back, uh, but we could use a little bit more attention to getting people to feel comfortable coming back. And we've got a great police department, NYPD, second to none. Um, but we're dealing with a lot of the things that a lot of cities elsewhere are dealing with. Um, and But I think we're dealing with it, you know, just head on and... The whole, um, I think the anti-police movement, um, you know, defund the police, that was also here for a bit, yeah. but then quickly turned around. And now we have a, a former police officer, a former lieutenant, who's now our mayor. My own personal kind of funny favorite story about coming to New York, I hadn't moved here yet, was coming here for a conference. I'm eating at the Sabara Pizza in Times Square. You know it well. Yep. Um, because you know, I was Not a guy far from out of from town, Ellen's, and, right I, down and the I wanted I wanted that authentic <laughs> Sabara <laughs> slice. Anyway, my buddy and I we'd gotten in. It was a late night. It was 10 45, 11 o'clock. We was we got to get something to eat. We just landed, checked in at our hotel, went over to Times Square, went to the Sabara. We're sitting there, and the only seats they had available were the ones looking out on the street uh, at at that time. And so we're we're finishing up our slice, and lo and behold. It's like 1.30 in the morning, and there's this crush of bicyclists that come through Times Square with racing numbers on their chests. And I was like, <laughs> this has to be the coolest place on planet Midnight Earth run. for them to be holding a bike race at yeah. 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I've, I've, been, um, I've been on that tour. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> well, okay, and you haven't talked me into doing it yet. I'm thankful, but we'll talk about that at some point. She's Christine Nicholas. If you catch me on Friday nights out of New York City on AM 970, The Answer, you'll hear her with me as we, we have fun food and hospitality that we talk about for a full hour. But uh, she's coming right back with us on That Kevin Show. Ready or not? 
He'll be right back. That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough. From New York, from Times Square, the place where I have to tell you, if you didn't know anything more about Times Square, and you were a kid like me watching Letterman growing up in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area when I was a kid, and you would hear these crazy intros talking about pizza rats and muggers politicians. and politicians and people that were just uh, jaywalking in the middle of Times Square, you, you, you grew up fascinated by what this place was. And now to get to bring you the Kevin show, that Kevin show uh, from these very uh, hallowed uh, streets is really, really something. Christine Nicholas is my guest, and she knows that better than anyone. Um, Christine, you, you very kindly thanked me for trying to elevate New York uh, through the auspices of this show, and I'm glad to do it. I love the city that, that you and I get to uh, be in all the time and just surround ourselves with. I think it's the greatest place on the planet, personally. Um, but it's always been television that really has taken New York to the rest of the world, and whether it was Sex in the City or David Letterman or any number of other places that would shoot and uh, do their sketches and everything else. Saturday Night Live obviously has a, a, a big draw. You, you've got this. You've got this magic in New York, and you've you've seen a lot yeah. of that up close in your PR work. Oh, absolutely! In fact, um, the Today Show, for example, um, was a sh when they were they were one of the early ones to do their sets outside, um, and then GMA. Uh, you know, they built a brand new set in Times Square, right? CNN built a set in Times Square. Uh, Fox is now doing stuff in Times Square, ESPN. So, you know, it became a familiar, um, trusted backdrop, uh, or whether it's in, in New York City and other places. But, you know, television has really helped New York City. I mean, even when you know, Seinfeld back in the day, they were they the exteriors were all New York, but right. then they were filming it in in LA. So and that was back up until you know 1993, 94, Rudy Giuliani gets in and he starts to make a fuss about all these shows that are filmed outside of New York about New York friends pretending to be New York, but just yeah. not filming here. So yeah. So um he then uh had the mayor's office of film and broadcast theater. And um, Pat Scott was our commissioner. And he told her, I want you to make an effort like to go out and make sure that whoever is filming about New York needs to be in New York, not in Canada, not in Toronto, <laughs> or we're going to make a big stink about it. And it, you started to see more and more shooting days on the streets of New York City, which I think pays off quite a bit because people love it. They love authenticity. I think the viewer at home can figure it out that it's not, it's not real. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And because the city is, I heard Sarah Jessica Parker actually interviewed about this once, but because the city, you turn a corner and you go into a completely different setting on, on every street corner in every neighborhood, you could literally uh, stake out places to film and to set up shows and to do things every day of the week and do a new one each day for the entire year and never run out of great uh, locales. 
Right. And Letterman had the stupid human tricks, if you remember, right? I, I love those. <laughs> so my office was at 810 7th Avenue and my my window, third floor, would actually look into the Letterman set, right? Right there on that street. And I knew when they were when they were setting up for a, an outdoor event and it was really excited, the crowds would start to form and they would have, you know, drag racing. They would have uh, Olympians doing the high jump. I mean, it was just such a hoot. I wish that dropping they... watermelons from the roof. Come yeah. on. It didn't get <laughs> much better than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it just, it brought New York or when he would go to visit the hello Delhi guy, right. Um, it brought the real life New Yorkers, as part of the set and right, right. New Yorkers are characters. You know, we used to have this, uh, you know, sort of this reputation of being tough guys, but after nine 11, I think people got to see the real New York. And I think that's what Letterman tapped into probably better than anybody because he knew that New Yorkers were really warm and fuzzy and fun. And so then he would interview people on the street. Right. Yeah. So, and it, it just, it was magical. And it, I really do think that that played a strong role in us, when we were rebuilding New York City post 9-11, we couldn't well, have we've, done it without we've Letterman got some, and we've SNL. We've got some stupid human tricks up our sleeves soon because <laughs> we're, we're about to unleash a correspondent on Times Square to re-engage some of those public with some very interesting questions from time to time. So we will we will be looking into that. We've only got a minute left, Christine. Um, you're talking to the entire universe. Uh, why should people come back to New York? Uh, you know, because it is the greatest city and it is the most unique city and it is your city. Trust me, you'll feel at home and you'll be safe. <laughs> and you'll have some good pizza if you go to yes, Staten Island. That's where all the, pizza, the really best. good stuff is. Uh, she is the first lady of New York hospitality as she is so introduced every Friday. Christine Nicholas, it's been a joy to have you with us tonight. Thank you, Kevin McCullough. Kevin McCullough from New York. That Kevin show when we come back. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough. Now, back to that Kevin Show. Kevin McCullough. All right, my next guest, I'm so pleased to have back at the Kevin McCullough microphone because we uh, spoke on my radio show and just a few years ago when the uh, passing of Andre Crouch happened. What a giant uh, voice in uh, gospel music overall. But this weekend, there is another huge influence that has been highlighted for the last couple of weeks now in the theaters. And I am very excited to uh, welcome my next guest. He is a singer-songwriter. I think he is more prolific than most of the Christian industry combined. Uh, he doesn't look as old as he is, but he has certainly got the records to prove it, along with the Grammys and the Doves. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Michael W. Smith. Hello, sir, and welcome to today. It's so good to have you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I saw just a little snippet of uh, a media hit that you did over the last uh, week, and it was about Jesus Revolution. We're talking about the uh, the number two film of new releases from last week. It was number three overall behind Ant-Man and Cocaine Bear, which is crazy when you think about it. But um, you said, and this was just a little kind of really 
quick clip that I saw, but I it's there was Michael W. Smith, and he said that movement so impacted me uh, as as a as a young person and as a singer and a songwriter. And I thought, man, I've got to talk to him about what because there's a, there's so many storylines coming out of Jesus Revolution. Obviously, Greg Laurie's story is very powerful and what God has done in his life. But uh, in in the mainstream discussion, uh, there's other storylines here. One of which is your musical career and the influences of the Jesus movement at the time. Take us back, Michael. What was it like for you when the real events that are portrayed in the movie took place? Yeah. Well, I'm 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 having this interview because of that movement. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I, it it really did. The Jesus movement uh, somehow found its way who knows how, uh, into my little town of Canova, West Virginia. And uh, it completely radically changed my life. And I will never forget getting that. I found it in a consignment store. I was looking for a Beatles record and came across this Maranatha record. And the title of it was the Everlasting Living Jesus Music Concert. <laughs> and I turned it Turned the, you know, turned and looked at the back cover, and there's all these people with long hair singing about Jesus. And I remember going, that's what I want to do one day. Wow. And um and, and you I even had the long hair for a while. I mean, it's not, not so much anymore, but <laughs> it was it wasn't very attractive, but whatever. <laughs> so and yeah, and so you know, it all changed. I if I found Love Song and I found Larry Norman and Andre Crouch and Second Chapter of Acts, but really all born out of that whole thing at Calvary. And I love the movie. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more biased because I'm just, you know, I cry every time I watch it. Yeah. I mean, because that movement changed my life. It literally changed my life. Well, it's interesting because uh, Kelsey Grammer has said in recent weeks, it's the best film he's ever done. Um, Jonathan Rumi is just genius as Jesus in The Chosen, but he certainly okay. does a very good job of... Lonnie Frisbee in this uh, picture as well. And then you've got the whole story of young Greg uh, and Kathy and what happened to them and kind of the, and I guess the movie kind of ends where the rest of the story picks up. Uh, I was, when I was speaking with uh, Greg Laurie about this last week, I said, you know, Greg, this all happened in Southern California and it was very concentrated right there, but there were these repercussive waves that came across the country that, you know, found its way to West Virginia of, of many other places as well. And I'm curious, Michael, what was it about it at the time? Because you were involved in the church. You weren't, you weren't hostile to, to Jesus or, you know, the message of the gospel. You, you were playing in your youth group, but what was, what was, uh, what was special about it to you? How did it speak to you? I think it was a move of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, my whole heart, everything was captivated. Every fiber of my being was captivated. I mean, I, I guess I became a Jesus freak. I hope I still am one, you know, but I was very, I wore, wore the big, big wooden cross and I carried the Schofield leather Bible. And, <laughs> and I was, while all my buddies were smoking pot and drinking beer, I was in Bible studies and singing this music every night at a friend's house. You recut uh, By Our Love for this film. And I, I, I want to say you gave it kind of a John Williams-esque haunting uh, very, uh, it's very minor key, but there's there's a there's a there's a haunting underscore to it that I think is just very powerful. And I'm just, could you break down why you did what you did with the song? What was it that you were that you were trying to aim for there? Because it's so yeah. powerful. Well, I grew up singing that song in youth group, 
as a teenager. And um, I've always loved it. And and I think by what it says, I mean, I think it probably is a message that probably needs to be heard more than any other time, at least in my lifetime. You know, they'll know we were Christians by our love and we're so divided and we're critical and all that. I could go on and on about that, but whatever. So the story is, is that, you know, a really good friend of mine, I'm good friends with the Irwin brothers and Brandon Gregory, the president there, really great friends with my son and me as well. He played me this trailer that they were going to release. And Kevin McCorkle, who co-directed the movie and actually scored the movie, had this idea of We Are One the Spirit. And so when Brandon played it for me, I like, I got, I mean, I had goosebumps. The hairs were standing on the back of my neck. and. And I said, Brandon, I, I, I grew up singing that song my whole childhood, all through my teenage years. And I said to Brandon, going, I think I'm supposed to cut that song. <laughs> uh, and I don't want anything. I just, I just feel like I'm supposed to cut it. You guys use it. You can market the movie. I think I'm supposed to cut it. And I don't want to change anything because I love Kevin's production. There's something going on on a campus in Kentucky. It is rolling out onto other campuses. It is rolling out into major arenas. Um, the fact that this movie got released at the time of the Asbury revival, I'm just curious, do you have any reaction to that? Is, is, any, is anything floated through your head as, as to what that could possibly mean? I have a big reaction. <laughs> it's happening. It's something we've prayed for for so long. Uh, you know, I'm not a... Uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, I don't jump on the bandwagon on the next wave. I've been praying for this move of God my whole life, mm. really ever since it happened at Calvary. Uh, we know the world's turned upside down. We know we're in trouble, but we, we've always known that it was going to happen. So I don't think it's a coincidence at all. And it's not only happening in Asbury and and college campuses. It's starting to happen all around the world. So grateful that Michael W. Smith took some, took some time out tonight to be with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. God bless. You got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin Show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard the story behind the song. Welcome, Michael W. Smith.
a song that was made very, very famous during the original Jesus People movement, uh, which is what is identified in the Jesus Revolution film, number two at the box office right now. Kevin McCullough saying you want to join the uh, Spotify or Apple uh, New Music Spotlight playlist because we get all the songs on there and they come to you free. Just go to Apple or Spotify and look for New Music Spotlight. Thanks to everyone for a great show tonight. Kevin McCullough, looking forward to being back with you next time here on That Kevin Show.